Genesis chapter 1. I had several conversations yesterday at men's breakfast, uh, and I got the opportunity to speak to the men in general. That was good or enjoyable. Uh, But as I got to talk to people there, and men from every facets of life, young and old, do all kinds of different things. And the common thread was the work of God in their lives to bring them where they are. Circumstances, people, the word is always involved throughout. But to bring them to this place where they appreciate God, where where the identity of God, his power, his, his purpose, who he is. He is the giver of life and breath to all men. And everything else, Paul would say, Luke records for us in Acts 17. He doesn't live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. God doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need your effort. As we talked so much this morning about attitude, and and still that's connected with what we're talking about this morning. God doesn't need our attitude. He doesn't need anything. What he wants is us. He wants our spirit, our heart to be connected to him. That's what he wants. He wants for our spirit to be to be filled with and marked by eternal life. He wants that connection with us. And our attitude has a lot to do with how that manifests itself. Our attitude has everything to do with whether we accept that. Thank you, Brother Paul, for your words of encouragement this morning. The blood of Jesus is shed for all humanity. What's your attitude toward it? What is our attitude toward it? Is is it most important? Is it paramount? Is what God offers us in the blood, is that, is that the thing that matters most? Is that the thing that, that we believe holds the satisfaction for our souls and so it holds the opportunity to give us a pathway in this life? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. In those original words, there's, there's chaos, it's, it's unsettled, it's, not, it's like a bomb went off. There's a lot of stuff, but it doesn't have any function, it doesn't have any purpose, it doesn't bring any glory to God. Nobody wants to be a part of it, it's not life-giving. 
There may be a lot of elements there that could produce life, but they're not producing any life. It's formless and empty. And darkness is over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. I've talked about this half a dozen times since I've been here. I'm going to keep talking about this the rest of my life. Because interestingly enough, God didn't write Genesis chapter 1 so people would know where they came from. Oh, shoot. You know what? I meant to tell everybody about the origin of the universe, and they don't have that. There's been people doing stuff, making a living, losing a living, starting farms. There's been people doing stuff for millennia, way over 4,000 years by the time God ever writes this down. He writes this down because he has a tiny select group of people that he is sending out in, in an unbelievable purpose. He writes this down when he forms the nation, ancient Israel. He didn't write this down for Abraham. Abraham never got to read the book of Genesis. What did Abraham know about the beginning? I don't know. And you don't either. But when God's forming a people, when he's taking a group of people, setting them apart for his purpose, and his purpose is to bring salvation to all of mankind when he has set apart a group of people that on this planet earth are going to know him and know his blessings and have his blessings in a way that the world has never dreamt of, to a degree of intimacy that the world has never fathomed. He wrote this right here. Don't you ever forget I'm the God who stepped into, who hovered over absolute darkness and chaos, and out of that I brought life. Now, if Israel would have held on to that, they'd have won every battle they ever fought. Every battle Israel ever fought came down to what? What is it that you believe about God? He is the life giver. He is the one who gives life. You know, Israel's failing. Come over here with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, chapter 4. That'll work. We'll skip some of that. He talks to them about their attitude at the first chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4, come down here, verse 22. Israel could have taken the book of Genesis. Interestingly enough, he gives them that before he gives them. It's written down, and they've got it, and it's put in its proper place above everything else, and, and the law comes after that. All, all the specific mentions of what they're to do and how they're to love God and follow God and worship God, all the, all the detailed specifics of that come after the fact that they learn who God is. That's what the book of Genesis is for. And the book of Exodus just starts spelling it out. You want to see light come into darkness? You want to see God bring life? He steps right into ancient history and he rescues Israel from Egypt. That's the book of Exodus. And provides for them a priesthood and a tabernacle and access to him. But somehow that wasn't enough. Somehow, somehow that didn't reach the depth of their attitude in a general way. It did some of them. 
Some of them just couldn't get over the book of Genesis. Some of them realized that no matter what was happening, God was trying to give life. God had given life and God made a promise through Abraham to bring and give life. Time we get to to Jeremiah chapter 4 and God's people are in exile. They're in exile. They're doing bondage because they didn't change their attitude. They were unwilling. They were unwilling. They were unwilling to listen, to hear. He said, verse 22 of chapter 4, My people are fools. They do not know me. They didn't read what? They didn't read Genesis. They missed it. That's not the foundation, the fundamental foundation of how they live life. Remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they got all these questions about uh, remarriage and re-divorce and all this mess, and Jesus said, y'all ain't read Genesis chapter 1. That's your problem. Well, that was always their problem. My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. They took all that God gave them, the abundance of what he gave. He gave them houses to live in they didn't build, fields to farm that they didn't plow. He gave them all of the stuff in the promised land, everything that they that they took, God gave them. And he said, you got to be real careful when you get into that, that you don't forget me. And by the time Jeremiah sits in the ruins of Jerusalem and they're in exile, and he said, this is the problem, we forgot God. And every problem we have on this planet or in this congregation or in your life or in my life comes when we forget God. I'm foremostly reminding us this morning, keep it simple. Remember who God is. This is the victory that has overcome the world, that we don't do what ancient Israel did, that we take who God is and we hang on to it with both hands earnestly. And so when we face life and its obstacles, when we face life and its traumas, when we face life and its disappointment, most especially when you face life and its sin, you remember who God is. When you find yourself led, led astray from the light and led into some darkness and led into some something that's not of God and not good, the thing is not to contemplate how long it is, how bad it is. The thing to contemplate, brothers and sisters, is God. You think people who are addicted to some kind of illegal narcotic, you think people addicted to heroin need to spend a lot of time contemplating the evils of heroin? Then one thing they need to complicate, and that's the goodness of contemplate, and that's the goodness of God. Because a sinner gets a hold of the goodness of God. Romans 2 4 says repentance is imminent. A change of mind and a change of attitude is imminent. And I gotta change my mind on a regular basis. On a regular basis. I mean, I'm sorry, Charlie. I, I I just keep forgetting. Well, that's why God wrote it down. 
Once remember who he is and what he's done. My children are, my people are fools. They do not know me. My, they are senseless children. They have no understanding. They're skilled in doing evil. They do not know how to do good. And listen to this. God said, let me draw you a picture of what this looks like. We just read in Genesis. Maybe I should have made this sermon longer and we should have read all of chapter one. Have y'all ever read Genesis chapter one? And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God spoke the entire universe into existence. And as he's creating and he sees it be good and he said, and this was good. And then he formed a man as his own image and he breathed, spirited into him the breath of life into his nostrils and man became a living being. And God took a rib from the man and he made a woman and he gave this woman to this man and now he said, this is very good. It's a beautiful thing, a God-glorifying thing where life and peace are abundant. Here's the antithesis of that. When God's covenant-related children forget who he is, when they become foolish, when they become skilled in doing evil, when they don't know how to do good. I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty. And at the heavens, and their light was gone. It's as if we've gone back to creation, and the whole thing's been undone. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. The mountains are the thing the psalmist says. I look to the hills and where does my help come from? The hills and the mountains have always been something that people look to for stability and peace and and rescue and, and a place where it's good. He said, I looked at the mountains and they were quaking and the hills were swaying. I looked and there were there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land was a desert. And all its towns lay in ruins before the Lord and before his fierce anger. It's a reverse of creation. And the Bible says that in Christ Jesus, We have been recreated. God has created us. We are his craftsmanship, his workmanship, and he has created us anew. The old is gone and the new has come. Come over here with me to the book of Colossians. God is the God who has removed us from darkness. Everybody in here, If you're a Christian, then God has taken you from the darkness that ruled your life, from the selfishness and and the carnal mindset that was just about me. What can I do? What can I have? What can I achieve? What can I accomplish? How comfortable can I make myself and those that I'm in charge of? How much pleasure can I pursue? How much gratitude can I get? How much fame or fortune can I amass? That's the mindset of the flesh. And it's death. It doesn't bring life and peace. 
He has rescued us from that. He has washed the evidence of that and the results of that sin. He has washed it off of our soul and he has made us to be new. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Every man I encountered yesterday, I prayed this prayer as I was talking to him, and I thought about it, and 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 us visiting together, and we're looking at what God's done in their life, and where He's brought them to, and how awesome He is, and all of this is just exactly this text filled out. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and may please Him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. See, this sounds like we've gone back to Genesis 1 and it's how it ought to be. It's not a fruitless barren desert. It's not chaos. It's not darkness. It's not quaking mountains. It's not instability. No, you've got fruitfulness here. A life worthy of the Lord, you please him in every good way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. I mean, Genesis 1 just becomes this, this snowball going down a hill for us spiritually. They're just growing in that. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. I mean, think of all the things in life that endurance and patience can bless. And joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, not of darkness. We've been born again, born out of darkness into light. We've been transferred this, this, this is from God. He has done in our lives in, in a very metaphorical, I mean, he has done spiritually in our lives what he did for the dark, the darkness covered chaotic creation in the beginning. That's what he's done for us. That's what he's done for the saints in Colossae. Paul wants them to know that. Why? There's people trying to rip a church apart. I've read Colossians. Read it. It's true. The devil's after them. They have an enemy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Just as he rescued creation in the beginning from the dominion of darkness. And the shroud of darkness that was over everything kept anything good from happening. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. In whom, in that son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, that's why we get together on a Lord's Day and we take this feast. And for us to come into this building or any building or sit at a coffee table or a kitchen table and to take of these emblems 
and tell God, stay out of our business, leave me alone, I did what you said. You wouldn't tolerate that attitude for one second from a child that you're in charge of forming and growing and nurturing their spirit or their life. God's not after our throats, our mouths, and our bellies, brothers and sisters. He's after our hearts. And so on this day, we have eaten with our mouth the bread of life, and we have swallowed with our mouth and our throat into our stomachs the fruit of the vine that marked the blood of his son. Brothers and sisters, he's after our attitudes. He's after our hearts. God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants those that are saved to be transformed into the likeness of his son. He wants those that he bled for and died for, those that he purchased, to never forget Genesis chapter 1, to never forget Colossians chapter 1. Ever read the book of Colossians? He's got a whole lot of business to get into on people. He's going to tell people how to treat their wives, how to treat their husbands, how to treat slaves, how to treat your children. And he started off with, don't you forget what God did when he created you. Don't forget how he took you out of darkness and brought you into light. Don't forget that in him you have redemption. He has redeemed us from being formless and empty. In Jesus, we're not formless and empty. We've got a purpose. We've got a life to live. We, we've got a we've got a attitude and a spirit and a and a message to share. Peter said he's made you a chosen people, a holy race, a holy nation. That you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And for us to remember what he has done for us. Just remember what he has done for us. That is, a, that is a platform. That is a catapult into God's purpose for us. It's not likely that you talk to somebody something you're not thinking about. It's less likely than that that you lead somebody on a journey you've never been on. We're not just on a journey to get baptized, brothers and sisters. We are baptized. We're on God's journey. We're on a journey that brings life. We're on a journey where grace reigns through righteousness. We're on a journey that gives us purpose, even in the midst of a sinful world. We're on a journey that in the midst of sinful world, even in the midst of our own sin, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's not a tolerance of sin. That's not an allowance of sin. It's a removal of it. It's a defeat of it. And if you think you're going to do some stuff God said do to get him off your back and keep your bad attitude, it's not going to happen. And that's not what we want. We don't want that. Oh, our flesh might sometime. I'm going to do what mama says just to shut her up. Then you're missing mama's point. You're missing mama's God-given purpose to protect you from yourself and all the evil of the world that's around you. Should we do the same thing with God's commands? 
Should we do them just to shut him up? He's after our hearts. I'm encouraging us. On every page of your Bible, there's a point, there's a message, there's a connection that brings us back to the only God who gives life and sustains it. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are. We don't know anybody else like you. We never heard of anybody who faced absolutely nothing and spoke an entire universe into existence. We don't know anybody else who could, who could come into the midst of chaos and confusion shrouded by darkness and merely speak and light and life and purpose and function come out of that. We don't know anybody else like that. You alone are God and there is no other. And the beauty and the power and the, the concern and the love and, and all the things that make you who you are are wrapped up and revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, your son. He came and he made his dwelling among us. And he battled his flesh, Father, until he gave his flesh for our benefit. And he gave his life for ours. And in that process, Father, he has offered us redemption. Redemption from a life that's led and marked by frustration and fear. A life that in the midst of struggle has a peace, has a peace and a confidence that the world simply cannot produce. And every single thing, Father, you have ever given us in Christ Jesus Everything you have ever given us is exactly the thing that the world is longing for. And they just don't know it. Father, help us to take every single thing you'll give us in Jesus. Help it to impact our thinking. Help it to change our attitude. Please, Father, help your goodness to, to impact our minds and our hearts. So we can reflect it in some way people can understand it. So that we, Father, can live lives. Those surrounded by frustration, we're not frustrated. Those surrounded by futility, we're not futile. Those surrounded, Father, by foolishness, we're not fools. We have your wisdom in Christ Jesus. Mark us as these people. Guide us in this journey. Bless us, Father, in this purpose. Please, Father, this is our prayer. Through him who bled and died for us, we've asked you for only, Father, those things which you want. And so we thank you for hearing our prayer, and we praise you for being a God who's answered it already, even before we see it. 
It's in Jesus' precious name we've prayed it all now. Amen. I don't know where you are with the Lord this morning, but I know what the Lord wants you to hang on to, and it's Him. If you need His help, and you do, but if you need our help in a public way right now, hanging on to Him, hanging on to His goodness, His power, His light, His redemption, let us know now how we can help while we stand and while we sing.